switch. Hey, there you go. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Great. So glad that you're here. What a great worship set this morning. It was awesome. Let's give another round of applause for that. That was good. That was good. Thank you guys so much for joining us online as well. Welcome visitors. Glad to have you as well. Thank you guys so much for uh, giving gift cards. We know we've that tree's kind of stacked. There's a lot of stuff underneath. There's a lot of stuff on the branches. Um, we're giving gift cards to uh, Chosen Ones, which is kids in the foster system, and then also clothes, gloves, and other items for Arlington's homeless community who is at, at APD's request. And so if you didn't do that and you're like, oh, I meant to bring it, you'll have time to drop it off uh, in the morning uh, if you want to do that or if you want to like you haven't done it yet and you want to grab something today, we'll give you a little more time to do that. But thank you guys so much for, for doing that. Last week, we kicked off our Advent series and working through, going through all the things, right? Because Advent means waiting, doesn't it? And anticipating the arrival of Jesus. And before God's people could receive Jesus, they had to go through all the things, all the things. And last week we looked at Israel crossing the Jordan for the first time with spies. Uh, looking at the promised land, the Babylonian exile. After they'd taken the land, God kicked them out because they were worshiping other gods. Nehemiah returned under, under Persian rule uh, and rebuilt Jerusalem and the walls. And then we looked at something that's not in our scripture, but it's a story from the Old Testament called the Maccabees. The Maccabean revolt, four brothers kicked out Syria and reinstituted the temple in, uh, in practice before it was destroyed in 70 AD. That happened in about 165 BC. So God's people had a, about 100 years of temple worship again before the temple was destroyed in about 70. And the idea is that candles burn all the time and they only had enough flask of oil for one night. And that's where Jews celebrate Hanukkah. Right? And then Jesus and John, I love that, just that during the festival of dedication, that's the celebration of Hanukkah. It's only mentioned once in the Bible, and Jesus was at the temple during the festival. And I just love this picture, this picture of Jesus is walking around this building that was the temple, but he is the temple. And so just this idea that the temple was present next to the old temple. The temple was there celebrating what God had done at the old temple, and would eventually celebrate what he is doing and what he has done. And so as we work, like I said, as we work through the scriptures, we see God's people go through all the things, and it's kind of like us, right? I don't know where your week's been. I don't know where your day's been. Full disclosure, I woke up not feeling great this morning because of something I ate. It's been a long morning for me. And so if I pass out, just ignore me and just pass the hat and y'all are dismissed. You know what I mean? Like, there you go. Um, but that's the thing. We have to go through all the things to get ready for the Messiah and to wait for his arrival. And while Advent is a celebration of anticipating Christ's arrival, we have to wait well, right? And that's the picture of the sermon this morning, waiting well, waiting well. Unfortunately, can I just let you in a little secret? Waiting well, unfortunately, only is learned when we wait well. Isn't that true? Waiting well is only learned when we wait well. You know, and so waiting about, I don't know about you, but for me, waiting is something that I don't really do well. Like, I, I don't wait for the test results to come back, you know. I just binge watched my favorite show, and now I've got to wait a year and a half before the next season comes out. Like, who's ever found themselves in that place, right? Like, you've, 
you, you've, you've hammered through like 10 episodes, and, and you're like, now what? What am I going to fill my life with? Waiting well is not good. Just a couple of others, you know, um, uh, you know, like how long did we wait to get into the relationship with our significant other, right? And Dee and I circled each other for a long time before we found one another. Um, and then this one uh, for the younger people in the room. You ever been left on a red text, right? And no response, right? Left on red. That's what the kids call it these days. Like that's, you have to wait. Well, like what are you going to do? You know, they've seen it. It says they've seen it, but they don't reply. What a crush. But waiting well is something that we don't do unless we learn to wait well, which is the focus this morning, which brings us to truth number one, just a few truths. How we wait can either increase our faith or decrease it. Isn't that true? How we wait can either increase our faith and decrease our faith. And it just got me to thinking, like, if we're going to write an equation, if I had a whiteboard up here and was going to write in a math equation on the, on the board, we have an unlimited amount of faith from God. The well never runs dry, right? He gives, he gives, he gives, he always gives. But yet, how I handle those in-between seasons, how I handle waiting when I'm not getting what I want, or when I, maybe when I'm getting exactly what I want, and I just want to slow everything down so I can enjoy everything that I've got, how I handle that season either increases my faith or decreases it. And so for us this morning, one of the things we need to consider is while we have an unlimited faith resource from God through the Holy Spirit, what we do with that either makes our faith go up or go down. And so in those moments when I have felt like God has not been there, right? He's silent. He's a little distant. That way I connect with him is not the same as normal. We've had those seasons, haven't we? I wonder if it's because of God or because of me. How we wait can either increase our faith or decrease it. Amen? Amen. I'm going to look at just a few passages this morning, looking at Jesus' arrival and see what we can learn from these passages about waiting well. Okay? Picture number one, many prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. So many. Daniel, Jeremiah, Isaiah... Micah is one of the most famous passages of prophecy about who Jesus is and what he's coming to do. And you can turn in your Bibles to Micah if you want to find it, chapter 5, starting in verse 1, or it'll be behind you. And so just to put Micah in his right place in the Old Testament timeline, you've got Isaiah, which is really well known, right? Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips when he sees heaven revealed and freaks out. Micah comes after him, right? This is about 700 years before Christ was born, 700 B.C., and he writes this starting in verse 1. Now, muster your troops, O daughter of troops. He's talking about Israel. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, I'm not even going to attempt that word this morning because it's been a long morning, Ephrathah, who are, I did that on Wrong on purpose, by the way. Who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, of old and from ancient of days. Just real quick, Jerusalem, Bethlehem is about five miles from Jerusalem. It's about a six-hour walk to, uh, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And so you can imagine living in the shadow of the major city, the place in the country, right? You've got the temple on the hill. Everything's going on there. Everything's centered there. Everything's working there. 
Jerusalem has been conquered, destroyed, rebuilt, conquered, destroyed, rebuilt. And then Micah says, O Bethlehem, you were too little to be among the clans of Judah, yet you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. I love that. And I just love that picture. I love that picture. Let me continue on. And he shall stand and shepherd I'm sorry, let me back to 33. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who was in labor has given birth. I wonder who that's talking about. And then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Verse 4. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. That doesn't give you hope today about waiting well. God doesn't shepherd us in the situation. He shepherds us in the strength of himself. In the strength of himself. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure for now. He shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. He shall be their peace. Babylon is about to happen to Judah. And yet Micah, after Isaiah's prophecy, is saying, you know what? All this stuff's going to happen. But you just wait. I don't know about you. I'm usually not encouraged by waiting. I want what I want when I want it, right? Right? I can download anything I want right now. I can watch anything I want right now. I can go anywhere I want. Well, I can't because I have a wife and kids, but you get the picture, right? And so just that picture, the ruler coming forth is from the ancient of day. I want to turn your attention to Psalm 92 to explain that phrase. If you'll throw it on the board for me, please. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you have formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The idea is before the mountains ever sprung up out of the ground, Jesus is the ancient of days. And how, how it signifies the difference between who was leading Israel and who's going to lead Israel in God's people coming forth. Verse 3 identifies the timing of God's judgment on his people. Let me read verse 3 again. But Therefore, he shall give them up until the time, right? Because Babylon's coming. They're leaving. They're going to go where they don't want to go. We'll circle back to that idea in a minute. And Micah pinpointly, like strategically, 700 years before says, I will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Isn't that interesting? I mean, like it's perfect. Like you can't argue with it. She who is in labor will give birth. And I just think it's interesting. God's people has turned their people on God, turned their backs on God. But what's interesting is while they've turned their back on him and he's going to send them to Babylon, he never turns his back on them. Amen? Never turns their back on them. Never turns their back. And God has appointed the time that when the woman in labor gives birth, the rest of his brothers can, can, can return. Because it's not the physical returning. That's going to happen. It's about God's people who are far off, who are in captivity, who are removed, who are, are not in a relationship through Jesus coming through the birth of a virgin. Now, many sons and daughters who are far away can now come home. And that's what belief in Jesus gets us, isn't it? Not a Jerusalem, not a temple, a relationship where we can come home. And I love this picture. The Savior, Savior will stand as a shepherd over his people and shepherd them. 
Isn't that interesting? Because they've had kings, right? They've had prophets until this point. Kings didn't work out so well. Prophets started. They had Moses. Then the prophets kind of started working out. People didn't like those people, so let's have a king because everybody else has a king. But it's interesting, isn't it? A shepherd stands in contrast to kings, right? Because kings rule over their people. Isn't that true? Kings rule. And make no mistake, Jesus is king. He is the one true king. But shepherds lead. And I don't know about you, but if you're far off from God right now, I don't need someone to rule me back to God. I need someone to lead me back to God. I need someone to lead me back to God. And so this this picture, even in Micah's words, how prophetic they are, that Jesus will shepherd his people back to the Father. And the contrast there is the good versus the bad, right? Bad kings versus good shepherd. Heavenly people that weren't really up to par versus the earthly perfect Savior. The perfect Savior versus the sinful people who keep turning back their, their back on God over and over again. And if I'm being honest, I said this last week, that's my story, isn't it? I turn my back on him all the time. But they had to wait 700 years. I hadn't gone through all the stuff yet, but 700 years from when this was written to when Jesus is born. And if you notice, it says there in verse 5, and it says, And they shall dwell secure, and he shall shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. And the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. The rest of the brothers. Not all the people. He says the rest of the brothers. And so just this idea that there's going to be a faithful remnant. And so, like, I don't know where you are in the faith department today. And that's what Advent offers us. A chance to renew our vision, renew our hearts, renew our minds, renew our faith from the person who never runs out of supply. Right? He never runs out of faith because he can give it as much as we're willing to take it. And, and just this idea is that all it requires for us to be faithful in our trusting of him. Which brings us to truth number two. Because Christ did come to earth as promised, didn't he? We'll get there in just a second. And because he came to earth as promised, we can trust God to shepherd his people toward his promises. Not our wants, not our desires, although some of those are thrown in. But we can trust God to shepherd his people toward his promises. Amen? Amen. Part of waiting well. So that's the point of the sermon, right? Let me draw this section in just a little declarative statement. Part of waiting well means we find ways to trust God in any way we can. Doesn't have to be perfect. Doesn't have to be all the time. Just find any way to trust Him. That's what means to wait well. That's what means to wait well. And, then we, and when we do that, when we trust Him, when we have no reason to based on the circumstances that are in front of us or what's happened in our lives behind us or what's going, around, or going on around us, is that God will receive glory when we trust Him in any way we can. So that's picture number one, Micah's prophecy there. I hope you enjoyed that. Picture number two, Mary worshiping God in the waiting. In, cha- in the Gospel of Luke, starting in chapter 1. Mary worshipped God in the waiting. So we're moving from Old Testament back to New Testament. We read verses 26 through 38 aloud over us. It's a lot. I'll do my best. Try not to pass out. There we go, 26. And in the sixth month, of the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth 
to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favorite one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. Like, I think I understand that, right? Like if Gabriel showed up and said, Hey, how's it going? I'd be like, not well. I'm not doing well right now. I'm just going to be really honest, right? So she was greatly troubled in saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Because you never really know, right? Even Mary had an opportunity to bring, to have faith in what God might be saying to her, even when she wasn't quite sure. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Hear that promise? Building off of Micah's. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child... Therefore, the child is to be born and will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative, Elizabeth, is her old, in her old age and has also conceived the son. And this is the sixth month with her. And Mary said, behold, I'm sorry, excuse me, who, with her who was once called barren. So just this picture, Mary's got a promise that's coming and God's showing up and making something where there's no life possible where there is life now. That's why Gabriel is, is referencing Elizabeth. It's important that we understand why Elizabeth is giving birth. Because that womb was not life-giving anymore. She was too old. But yet God could do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Amen. For nothing will be what impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. Just... Seems like the most obvious question, right? It's in verse 34. Mary goes, well, wait a minute. How am I to be with the kid when I'm not married yet and I'm a virgin? Because those things don't compute. How can I have a baby, right? And I love just God intervening again. So you've got Elizabeth who had, was too old to have a baby who is now life-giving. And you have someone who could be life-giving in her womb and not able to. God does anyway. So we have two pictures of life where God is miraculously bringing life to the situation. You see that, right? Yeah. The Holy Spirit's intervention is miraculous. And when there is no way, God can make a way. Isn't that true? When there is no way, God can make a way. When the way seems impossible, God can make a way. When the way goes against the very rules of nature, God can make a way. And so the, the point for you and for me is never discredit God's ability to do whatever, whenever he pleases. Which puts Mary in an interesting situation, isn't it? Because she could have heard that say, well, I don't want a kid. And I'm not married yet. And I want to enjoy married life. And, and I've got to do these things. And that's not the plan for my life. You ever feel that rising up in you when God's moving you through seasons? I don't want this to happen. Why is it happening this way? Why is it not happening that way? I thought you loved me. What are you up to? I'm confused. And the answer is, in verse 38, let me read it to you again. It's at the end of the passage. We're going to get to some more. 
And Mary said, and after all this, after she figured out that Gabriel wasn't going to kill her, because I'm pretty sure that's what she thought, right? Um, Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And because Mary acknowledged her place as a servant of God, that's what she did. That's the answer. How do we wait well? She acknowledged her place as a servant of God. Notice her identity as a servant did not depend on her status. Right? She, she can't have a baby according to natural standards. She wasn't, you know, she was maybe old enough but wasn't even married yet. And, you know, the risk in that time, in that century, if you were with child and you weren't married, then you were walking, you know, a deadly, deadly path for your life that likely meant that you were thrown out of the, your family and thrown out of the city and all those things. But she didn't acknowledge her identity as a servant based on her circumstances. She just said, hey, I'm a servant. She didn't say, God, if you love me, you would do this, or why aren't you doing that? I'm confused. She said, I am your servant. I am your servant. I will do what you command, because that's what a servant does, isn't it? And make no mistake, I just want to put this before each of us this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are also a servant of Jesus. And not because you have to, it's because you get to. Which brings us to truth number three. We wait well when we remember our position as servant in God's kingdom. Isn't that true? You ever think of yourself as a servant in that way? I don't know if I do. I'm pretty busy, right? Like, I've got things, and I've got kids, and I've got all this stuff going on in my world. I think of myself as a follower a lot. But what really struck me is Mary was a follower too, right? Obviously, because she had favor with the Lord, But she didn't assert her follower status. She asserted her servant status. And so waiting well doesn't mean you assert the position you want in God's kingdom. You see that, right? Waiting well doesn't mean you assert the position you want. You fulfill the one you have. Isn't that beautiful? Waiting well means you fulfill the one you have. And that's servant. Look at verse 41. Just read a little bit more. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, so Mary showed up to Elizabeth because, you know, she wants to figure out what's going on. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to me, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Isn't that beautiful? And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment. Because that's what faith is. We believe there's going to be a fulfillment in God's promises of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so Mary comes in. Hey, it's Elizabeth, their family, right? And because Mary's voice hit Elizabeth's ears, John the Baptist, who was in Elizabeth's stomach, turns over. And then Mary's son, Jesus, turns over because they're uniquely connected to each other for about Jesus' ministry. I just love that picture. Mary is still waiting, isn't it? Like, she's coming in pretty blonde here, but Elizabeth knows a little bit more because look at the stuff she, she sp- uh, speaks over her. Blessed are you, favor among women, and blessed is your son. Right? Mary is still waiting because Jesus isn't born yet, but God is giving her confirmation through Elizabeth. 
And so sometimes waiting well means you need to include other people in your world. Because God doesn't give you all the picture. Thank goodness. Because if it was on me to like put all the jigsaw puzzles together, like it would look like a Picasso painting and nothing that I could follow for my life, right? Because that's the, that's the thing. Imagine having to wait when it seems like someone who else knows more than you, but what is Mary's response? She doesn't lose hope. She worships. I love that. She worships. And this is what it means to wait well. She worships because where God has her, but also she worships who God is and not what God and also what God is doing even though Mary's part is not completed because she says that, right? Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I just love that. Which brings us to truth number four. We wait well when we worship God. We wait well. Back to number one. Waiting well can either increase our faith or decrease our faith. Because God delivered on His promises, we could trust Him to deliver us as well. Waiting well means that we remember our position in the kingdom, that we're a servant, not just a follower. And then we wait well when we worship God. We wait well when we worship God. So in turn, you and I should look to see where God has us. That's my question. Where does God have you? And do you see yourself as a follower? Do you see yourself as disconnected? Do you see yourself connected? Do you see yourself as a servant? Because make no mistake, we're all of those things simultaneously. But yet, God will bring us through according to His plan and promises for our life. No matter what it is. It could be the worst case. It could be the worst results. It could be... The zero in the class that you really need. And yet God will make a way for your life. Advent gives us a reason to focus on worship of God. Amen? Amen. Advent gives us a reason to focus on God. This is not going to be on the board. I just want to read this quickly over us. Because I said Mary worships in the next verse, in verse 46, this is Mary's song of praise. It's called the Magnificent. It's not, I don't think it's going to be, is it going to be in Luke? Starting in verse 46? Yeah, there you go. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of who? There's the identity again, the servant. See that? She's never left. She knows a little bit more than she did. She's not fearing for her life, yet she still calls herself a servant. Her primary identity is a servant. And for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She worships. And so my, my thing, whatever you walk out today when the response song comes, my ask of you is that you would worship. You, knew what you, you know what you carried in today. You know what you've got coming tomorrow. You know what's coming next week. And some of us know what's coming in three months, and a lot of us don't know a lot more beyond that. But yet God calls us to worship anyway. And Advent gives us the reason to focus on worship of God. So that's Mary, worshiping God while waiting. Last picture. Almost done. Only gotten dizzy once. This is good. The words only crossed up once. That's good, right? 
Jesus escapes Egypt. The wise men have come. So just a little, this is always kind of a pastor joke. Pastor jokes are the best, by the way. Um, what, does the pastor, what does it mean when a pastor says he's almost done? It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. So when I say I'm almost finished, what I'm saying is I don't really mean that. I'm just filling a gap in the space there, and I could go as long as I want because whatever, right? And you're stuck with me for a little bit longer. So the wise men have come after Jesus was born. This is in Matthew. And when they leave, Joseph and Mary get a terrible message. So there is terrible news in the Bible as much as there's good news in the, in the Bible. And so, by the way, if you want to be theologically correct, right? Theolo- theology is the how we approach God with our minds and how we understand his principles at work from the Bible, in the world, in our heart, in our head, and all those commingled together, right? When you see, I want you to try something, okay? Pay attention this week to the nativity scenes around your house and around your neighborhood and around the city. And if you see the wise men there, they're not there. They're not. They come after he was born. So this is what I'm giving you permission to do. If you want to help your friends and your neighbors, right, be theologically accurate, kindly just pick up those wise men and just move them off to the side because they haven't traveled yet to where they're going, okay? That's the truth, okay? So the wise men are not there. I hate to break it to you. You know, I don't think there's kids in the room right now. I could do more Christmas damage if you would like, but I'll, I'll, I'll refrain. And so there you go. You have my permission. Don't tell them I told you to do it, but you have my permission, okay? Because Jesus escapes Egypt. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Quick little passage here. Let me get there. Because Jesus was already born. We missed that, right? Yeah, so like if you watch Home Alone this week and you know the, they have the big nativity scene where he hides out because he's running from the criminals and the wise men are there. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's of the devil. Anyway, okay. Verse 13. I'm really off the rails at this point. This is awesome. Now, when they departed, right? So, they, so, they've been, so Jesus has been born. The wise men have come. We're saving this passage for another week. But when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Holly, that's bad news. And he rose and took the child and his mother by the night by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. So a prophet spoke that, and it's a dual fulfillment prophecy, meaning that it's speaking to God's people, but it's also speaking about Jesus and pointing to him. Um, let me read the, because we usually skip this section in, in, in the uh, Advent series, but when Herod, I just want to read on in verse 16, and then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, because he asked them, hey, come back and tell me, because I want to worship too, Right? became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Here's more prophecy for you. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. So Herod had bad intentions for Jesus, and Jesus, or God, through the angel, stepped in and said, hey, you guys got to bounce to Egypt, Right? And I just want to point something out in verse 13. Jesus has all the protection in the world, doesn't he? Like, he's going to walk his life out from a baby 
We've got some sketchy details on the middle stuff besides one instance until he starts his public ministry. But he's going to walk his purpose in life and mission out from birth to death on the cross. He's protected. That doesn't mean the forces of evil are not trying to destroy him. Because that's what Herod represents. The forces of the world trying to destroy you. And if you don't think Satan is doing anything that he can to dissuade you from focusing your worship and your love and affection for Jesus in this Advent season, we're crazy. We're taking crazy pills. Because it's absolutely true. And even though Jesus, who is perfect and sinless, even as a baby, there were things out to get him from the jump. And so I just can't, I just, this picture, a fake king wants to destroy the true king. That's, you see that, right? Herod wasn't even Jewish. He was like Egyptian, part Egyptian. And take his power. Interestingly enough, God sends him to Egypt, the birthplace, if you again know your Old Testament, where all of God's people got into trouble to begin with, isn't it? Like Egypt's the last place that I would think that they would want to go. Because if you know your Old Testament, it's in Egypt where the, God's people became slaves. And they had to run from Pharaoh, and then they wandered in the wilderness. We looked at that last week. And all the things. They had to go to Egypt. And can you imagine, like, because I'm a parent, and, like, my kids, like, you know, like, my kids do things. I'm like, wait, what are they doing? I don't know if I'm good with that, right? Can you imagine what Joseph and Mary thought? Like, we got to go where? We've got to go where? God sending us to Egypt? What? Like, that's the last place we need to go. Can't we go home? Why not go back to Nazareth? But yet God sends him to Egypt, which is ground zero for God's people, isn't it? I said that on purpose, by the way. Ground zero for God's people. Can you imagine what the parents must have thought? God, are you protecting us? But you want us to go well? Where? And so here's the thing. Truth number five, waiting well. Don't miss this this morning, please. Because this is the most missed piece of our journey as Christians. To wait well sometimes means we have to go somewhere we would rather not go. It's true. Sometimes God calls us to go somewhere we don't want to go. And if you know the New Testament, he called a son to do that. And if he called a son whom he loves to do that, how much more will we suffer for his name's sake? And so the question I have for you is the band's going to come back up. What ground zero is God sending you? Where are you headed? Where is he asking you to go? And are you open to that? Are you not open to that? I don't know. Only you know. But Advent is a season and a time to find out where our ground zeros are going to be for the upcoming year. Because make no mistake, if God, as I said, would send his son to that place, including the cross, which cost him everything, where will he send us because we're needed there? He doesn't send us there because he just wants to play with us. He sends us there because we're needed there. And I'm reminded of Mary who said, Lord, according to your word, let it be done because, let it be done because I'm your servant. And that's what it means to be a servant. We worship well and we go where God doesn't want us to go. And so when we hear the truth of God's word, we have an opportunity to respond. And when we respond, we have an opportunity to be changed. And so my ask is, is, are you waiting well? Could you be waiting well in the ways that we've talked about this morning as a servant, as a worshiper, finding any way you can trust God with the faith that he's given you? And what I think is interesting, God sends his son back to the place of captivity that leads to many sons' freedom. You see that, right? Like Micah said, 
when, when the virgin gives birth and the baby is born, the brothers will return, right? Many brothers will return. Look at Hosea 11.1. It'll be on the board. And when Israel was a child, again, another prophecy, I loved him, and out of Egypt, I called my son. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Not only does God call him, he loves him. And what does he say first? Love, not call. And so I think it's the parting thing for us to consider. What does it look like for us to love God first before we ever figure out the call in our lives? Because he can be trusted. And of course, that has a dual meaning, right? Because of course, he's bringing Jesus out of Egypt. But he also brought his people out of slavery. Physical bondage, teaching that we're all living in a spiritual bondage. Are we not? And so God often uses the source of our great wounding because I don't know about you, but if I was Joseph in this equation, I'm pretty sure I don't want to go back to Egypt, right? And, I don't, and we don't know how long he's there. He's just he's there until Herod's no more. I guess we can do the math there. But when we wait well, we wait for him to shepherd us. See that, right? When he calls us out of Egypt, we're waiting for him to shepherd because shepherds lead, they don't rule. And we trust God in the waiting and so remember, our position in the kingdom, we worship, and then we go find those places he sends us to. Will you stand with me? And so my prayer is that this has given us all something to think about this morning. Because make no mistake, God's supply of faith for you and for me in the circumstances is limitless. He's not limited by any of our circumstances. And so all it does is require for us to trust Him. So we're going to sing, but before we sing, I want to pray over you. Can I do that? Lord, I pray. One, I just thank you. Um, that I don't have to figure it all out. Lord, I thank you that you only give me what I need in the moment. And God, I thank you that you have conquered death and hell through the death and resurrection of your son. And so my prayer for me and for my friends this morning, Lord, is that as we anticipate the celebration of his arrival on December 24th, of course, you would commandeer a pagan holiday and make it all about you. Because that's how good you are. That's how big you are. That's how awesome you are. And so no matter what, whether we say Xmas or Christmas or happy holidays or whatever, Lord, the reason we celebrate is because of you. And so, God, let us worship you this week. Let us remind ourselves of our status in the kingdom, which is a servant. And, God, give us the courage to face the places where you send us to go. Because while Jesus was waiting, while Jesus' parents were waiting, while God's people were waiting for a baby to come, <laughs> the baby has come. So let us sing with joy and contentment. It's in your name. Amen.